and hopefully I'll connect and I won't lose connection here. Hallelujah. All right, lost connection. Um, have you ever lost your phone? Have you ever lost your phone or you jumped in the pool, forgot it was in your pocket? Anybody do that in the past, yesterday, whatever? You know, you ever get your phone stolen? Yeah, a couple of people are saying that, right? It's a very disorienting feeling, isn't it? Because you lose connection, right, with everybody. Like you're trying to figure out how to let everybody know, you're right? What I love is when I see on Facebook, I lost my phone. I'm like, well, how are you on Facebook? I guess some people still have computers. It's like we're trying to let people know, hey, I'm still here, right? I'm still alive. I'm still me. Now, here's the funny thing. Nothing changes about you, right? But you lose connection with the people that you know, and that feels very disorienting. And it feels uh, we just don't like it at all. And so what we do is we try to restore that connection, right? We try to get a new phone or we try to find another way to connect. Because we, especially living in this day and age, we do not like to be disconnected. In fact, I would dare say that of the millennials and younger, it's probably Probably the greatest fear that they have is being disconnected. But I'm going to be honest, as a Gen X person, I have a fear of being disconnected as well. Now, sometimes we disconnect on purpose, right? I think they call it ghosting. Is that right? You know, sometimes we just say, nope, that's it. I don't want to contact you anymore. We were trying to say, I tried to contact you. The person's like, I don't know what happened. Meanwhile, they blocked you. They unfriended you. They never told you about that, right? But they're like, I don't know what happened. It's like what we used to do when cell phone reception was bad, right? We could go, oh, it's bad reception. And then we'd hang up, you know. We didn't have to talk to them. So sometimes our lost connection is intentional because we're trying to disconnect from certain people. But sometimes our lost connection, lost connection is unintentional, right? But either way, we find ourselves in the same situation. We are disconnected from the people that we want to talk to, from the people that we love. And I believe that what this teaching of Jesus that Brian and Amy read for us is talking about is when we get disconnected from Jesus Christ. You see, it doesn't change who we are. We're still children of God if we know Jesus Christ. You know, we still have our faith. We still have our salvation. But there's a way in which we can get disconnected, right? And, and what we want to do is we want to repair that connection when we get disconnected from God. And I believe that this teaching this morning shows us uh, God's way of connecting us with both himself but through people in the world, especially those who are in need, those who need the most help. And we're going to talk about that and break it down a little bit this morning, okay? So uh, can, we get, can we get theological for a minute? You know, is everybody good? The air conditioning's on, you're all right? Let's dig into this a little bit, all right? And, and deal with some of the theological issues first, and then we'll get to the practical application. First of all, Jesus opens up this teaching by saying, when the Son of Man comes in all of his glory and his angels with him. Now, I want to talk about this term that he uses, the Son of Man. You see, that's the favorite term that Jesus had for himself. Other people call Jesus Savior, Lord, Master, Teacher, Rabbi. Other people ascribe those names to him. And throughout the Bible, there are so many names of Jesus. The King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the Prince of Peace, the Wonderful Counselor, uh, the, the Root of Jesse, the Branch of David. There's so many names. Messiah, Christ, the Anointed One. But when Jesus referred to himself, he used the term Son of Man. And I believe he did so for two reasons. First of all, the word in Hebrew, barganash, means a human being, a human being. And one of the unique things that we believe as Christians is that Jesus Christ, whom we follow, was both fully human, a human being, and fully God. He was divine. Somehow at the same time, he could embody all of the divine presence, but it was embodied, it was enfleshed, it was in a human form. And it's one of the heresies that we fought early on in the Christian church. When people would say, no, he's only divine. Or no, he's only human. And the early church said, no, that's not what we believe. 
Somehow, some way, we believe that Jesus is both fully man and fully God. But there's another reason that Jesus used this term. And it's because this term was used in the prophetic era, especially in the book of Daniel, to describe someone who was coming with the power and the authority of God. And when I read this passage from Daniel, you're going to see how it connects to the teaching from Matthew 25 and why Jesus used this term. In Daniel chapter 7, beginning in verse 13, the prophet Daniel says, I had a vision, and in my vision at night I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man coming on the clouds of heaven. He approached the ancient of days and was led into his presence, and he was given authority, glory, sovereign power, and all nations and peoples of every language worshipped him, and his dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. So you can see Jesus is intentionally referencing that scene, but with his teaching that says when the Son of Man comes in all of his glory and all of his angels with him, it's a scene of authority. It's a scene of power. It's a glorious scene of the second coming of Jesus Christ. We just sang part of what we believe is that he's coming back again. But friends, I, I don't hear us talking about that very much. I, I, don't, I don't hear us living with the reality that Jesus is coming again. And when he comes again, how will he find us? How will he find us on this earth? Will we be doing the things that God wants us to do? Will we be the people that God wants us to be? Or will we have missed it? Will we be caught unawares? Will, 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 what will it be like when Jesus comes again in all of his glory? Well, this scene, this teaching is definitely a scene of judgment. And judgment is a very hard word for us today, right? And, and the fact that God, we, people like to say only God can judge me. And I like to respond, yes, but remember he will judge you. <laughs> Not only can he, but will. And the judgment described in this scene is really a separation. It's a sorting, if you will, into two different groups of people. Those who are called righteous and those who are called wicked or cursed or condemned. Right? So there's a separation into two types of people. And I think if we're going to be honest, that kind of strikes us the wrong way a little bit in this day and age, right? Because it's too easy. It's too black and white, we say. It's too one or the other, right? There are good people and there are bad people, right? And we react against that because we don't want to think that anybody's really bad. We want to say, well, well people are mostly good. Uh, but, but, in this, but, but if we accept the basis of what Jesus is saying, that there are two different groups of people. I mean, there is good and evil in the world. I mean, there is righteousness and there is wickedness in the world. And, and while God has a desire and love for every human he's created, sometimes our participation in goodness or evil puts us into a position, right, uh, of, of contributing to one or the other in the world. So I just want to start by saying I understand that that's difficult. And that may offend some of our modern sensibilities. But let's, let's just accept it, okay? Let's just accept the context that Jesus is setting for us, all right? Let's accept that when he comes again, there's going to be a separation into two groups. So let's just accept that for a minute and see what he's trying to say. Okay, within these groups, what is the basis for being separated into these two groups? Well, he just uses an image of like a sheep from the goats, and the sheep go on his right, and the goats go on his left. And the basis of their separation is this. It's their caring, the way that they cared for the needs of those who were hungry, those who were thirsty, those who were naked, those who were a stranger or an immigrant, those who were sick, and those who were incarcerated. That's a pretty specific list. Okay? And the separation is on the basis of how we treat those who are hungry, thirsty, naked, 
a stranger, immigrant, sick, or incarcerated in prison. That's the basis of the separation, right? And who is it that's being judged? Everybody. It says all nations are gathered before him. So this judgment, I mean, everyone is held accountable for, by God for what they do with what God has given them to these groups of people who are the most in need. Okay, again, you've got to just live inside of this for a minute to understand it, right? We can't try to come in and try to start explaining things away. Let's get the fullness of what this is saying, and then we can begin to try to understand it and put it in its right context. Think of all the things that are not on the list. Didn't say anything about going to the temple, about giving money. A lot of things we say is righteous, right? I mean, there's a lot of things left off the list, and that doesn't make them, you know, not righteous or not, or not wicked. But these are the things, these are the things he highlights in this teaching to say that when I come and I do the separation, I do the judgment, I'm going to separate the nations, all people, it's for everyone, into these two groups on did you meet the needs of these people, right? Now, who are these people? There's two interpretations that, that people have chosen. One is that he's talking about Christians that are in need because Jesus said these brothers and sisters of mine, right? So some people have said, well, this really is about how we treat Christians who are in need, who are hungry, who are thirsty, who need a place to stay, who are coming from another country, who find themselves in prison or in need or sickness, right? And, and certainly I think that is included in this. But there's a second interpretation that says, no, this really means that everyone who is in need, regardless of their religion, regardless of their race, regardless of their gender, that we are called to minister to the needs of these people, whether they're Christians or not. Now, again, the second view takes into account the first view. It still means that we need to care for Christians that find themselves in this situation. But the second view expands it to say there's a responsibility that God wants us to take upon ourselves to help anyone who finds themselves in these kind of situations, anyone who finds themselves in need. Now, let me just explain why I personally choose the second interpretation, and this is why. Because when Jesus said, here's one of the greatest commandments, love your neighbor as yourself. He explained it with a story, and the story was a very famous one, the parable of the Good Samaritan. And I believe that he was teaching that whoever you find in need is someone that you should help if you're going to fulfill the law to love your neighbors yourself. That is one example of many teachings of Jesus where I believe that Jesus is saying my command to love and care for others is, is to care for them regardless of their race, religion, their gender, their background, their ability, whatever. The only basis of your caring for them is that they're in need and they need help. And you need to be part of meeting that need and helping them. And finally, we see that there is, um, there is rewards and punishments in this parable, right? Again, something that's not always easy for us to accept. Maybe you prefer the term consequences, right? <laughs> if you're, as a parent, you want to say these are the consequences of your action. You know, if you're dealing with somebody that's made bad choices in their health, for instance, you might not say that's your punishment. You might say that's the result of the choices that you've made, right? And, and I think those words describe what's happening here. There are consequences, there are results to, what, to the way that we live our lives according to what Jesus is saying. And let's take a look at what Jesus says they are. He said, first of all, to the people who are righteous, to the people who cared for these people that I'm talking about, he said, your reward is eternal life. It means that's an inheritance, and it's a royal inheritance into the kingdom of God, into a way of life where we have right relationships with God, with each other, with creation, to live in the glory of the way God intended for us to live. Amen? It's a beautiful thing. We want eternal life. It's what we've called in Christianity heaven. Even though often with terms, it's, it's much bigger than, than our limited view of it. 
but it's heaven. It's the kingdom of God. Consequently, on the other side, the people who were not righteous, the people that were called wicked, literally it's the cursed or the damned, the condemned, right? They're the ones who did not take care of his people. He said their punishment, their result, their consequence is an eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. And again, that's where we have gotten this idea or this concept of hell, right? And because Jesus used images of fire, and in Revelation there's images of fire, that's why if you've ever wondered, like this weekend you might have heard it, it's as hot as hell out here. <laughs> and I want to tell people, not really. <laughs> it's probably a lot hotter there. But you understand that those are the images, right, that we associate with these kind of things. And again, that's a topic that's not very popular because we're like, how can God do that, right? How could God, if he loves everyone, you know, send someone? To such a horrible place or, or exert such a punishment. But I think maybe we enter into a little bit of what God is. We think about results and consequences. Because we know that for this world to be just, that there, does need, there are consequences to our actions, right? Now, if we set this in the larger context of Scripture, so let's do that now, okay? We understand that God is a God of forgiveness. That while we may deserve certain things and we may understand how God feels about them, God can come in and with his love and grace and mercy forgive us, right? At any moment, while you guys are here still breathing, you don't have to be afraid of the eternal fire. You don't have to be afraid of hell because God gives us opportunities to receive eternal life. Some people read this and say, wow, it sounds like salvation is by works, right? That's a, that's a common reaction. Sounds like it's based on what I do. But let's put that into a little bit of context. I believe that righteous actions flow from a righteous person. In other words, that when we are made righteous, we will naturally do things that are right, right? Good people do good things. It's their nature. It's what flows out of us. When we don't have the righteousness that comes from Christ, right, we live from other motivations. We live primarily from, you know, selfishness or maybe other things that are going on, expediency, you know, trying to get power, money. There's other things that motivate us, right? So we know, we proclaim, we believe in this church and in many churches that you can only be righteous through a relationship with Jesus Christ. And that relationship with Jesus Christ is given to us free, right? We just accept it because of what he did on the cross. And a, right, a relationship with Christ that's given freely results in taking care of those who are in need. So in other words, Jesus is saying this is a connection test. Are you connected to me? Because if you're connected to these type of people, then you're really, you're doing it for me. You're connected to me. You're encountering my presence. If you're not doing that, you're disconnected from me. You're not encountering my presence. And I think the challenge that it brings to us today is that we who say we are connected to Christ, that we are Christians, that we are followers of Jesus, somehow I think we, our phone is dropped in the pool. We've lost our connection. To what God says we need to be connected to. Jesus is looking for what kind of heart, what kind of attitude we have, you see. Because those who took care of the poor, it was in their heart to do so. It came naturally to them because they had been transformed by the power of God in their life. Without that transformation, it's very hard for us to care for others. We end up neglecting, ignoring, overlooking people, right? Because we don't have a heart for them. Jesus is looking for the heart. He's looking for our relationship. And because our relationship to God is given to us through Jesus Christ, but it must result, it must result in taking care of those who are hungry, those who are thirsty, those who need clothes, those who need shelter, who are strangers, foreigners, immigrants, those who are sick. 
those who are incarcerated or in prison, and also when they get out of prison, they need help as well. To know Christ is to help people who are in need. That's what I'm proclaiming to you this morning that Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying somehow among those people you will encounter my presence in a very real way. And sometimes I say, man, if, if you feel disconnected from Jesus Christ, hallelujah, I can tell you from personal experience, go spend some time with some people in need. Reach out to them, build relationships with them, right? Help somebody. You will encounter the presence of Christ. There are so many opportunities that exist all around us. I love what my friend Pastor Antoine said recently. He said, we have too many people who want to be the mouthpiece of Jesus and not the hands and feet of Jesus. Can I speak a prophetic word, church? Can I say in this day and age, we are trying to be the mouthpiece of Jesus and we've forgotten that we're to be the hands and the feet of Jesus? We want to talk about the poor. We want to talk about the needy. We want to talk about the incarcerated. We want to talk about our health care system. But are we being the hands and the feet of Jesus in those places? Because when we do, friends, we will encounter the powerful presence of Jesus. You see, what I want us to do is return to our roots. I want us to get back to what the church has been known for. You see, the church has engaged in these type of ministries from the time it began. The church was known for the way that it helped people in need, going as far back as the Roman Empire. And the same is still true today. It's been said that in the Middle East, when there's a refugee, there's lots of refugees, you know, that are coming from different countries into other countries in the Middle East. In the Middle East, they said it's common to hear a Muslim say to a refugee, if they need help, go to the Christians, they help everybody. Go to the Christians, they love everybody. Shouldn't we be known by that? Doesn't that put us where Jesus wants us to be? You see, again, this is not about doing works to earn credit with God. It's about Jesus has put his spirit in us. And because of that, that I should be drawn to those in need like a magnet. Like it should just come naturally. Because my heart's been transformed. My mind has been renewed. I see things differently. And I move towards those people. And so many people, Christians, are doing this work. And we do this work. And it's beautiful. It's when, that's when we're living in the flow. Okay? We're living in the flow. We're receiving the grace and mercy of God. And we're, and we're helping others in need. And, and we're, we're proving or demonstrating our relationship, our connection to God by our relationship and our connection with those who are in need. Recently, the renowned Christian author Philip Yancey went to visit Beirut, Lebanon. And this is a picture from his blog at philipyancey.com. And he went there and, and he, to talk to some organizations, some Christians that are working there. And he reports that they estimate now that there are 500,000, half a million Syrian refugees living in Lebanon, in Beirut, Lebanon, because of the war in Syria. And you need to understand that when someone's a refugee, right, they're coming, they have to leave their own country because they might die, either from violence or lack of food or lack of clean water. I mean, there's a great need that drives someone to become a refugee in another country, another country. On top of that, they estimate that there's one million illegal refugees. So there may be a million and a half refugees often living in shelters like this. Often with just the, the, the sewage running down a ditch in the middle of the thing. Putting together what they can. 
you know, struggling for food, for shelter, for water, for clothes. And what Philip Yancey found is that there are people there who are being the hands and feet of Jesus Christ. There are people there who are living out of their changed and transformed identity. And Youth for Christ is one of those organizations. And Youth for Christ is there helping these refugees. And I want to read, if I can, a quote from his blog because this was so powerful to me. He said, reporting on the work of Youth for Christ, Besides the day camps and sports activities, Youth for Christ has built a center that offers training in subjects such as English, computer skills, and sewing. So they're meeting the needs of these refugees. When Muslim activists complain, the local imam, and an imam, you know, is like the Muslim version of a priest or a pastor. The local imam replied, they opened a school, they built a basketball court and an indoor soccer field. What have you done for the refugees? But they're teaching the kids about Jesus, said the radicals. The imam shot back, of course they talk about Jesus. They're Christians. What do you expect? But find me one kid who says they've pressured him to convert. The power of the witness of being the true hands and feet of Christ. It overwhelms me and motivates me. You see, I want to be connected to Christ. I'm not living in concern of the eternal fire or the fires of hell. I'm living out of a changed heart and a transformed mind that I now naturally want to be where Jesus is. And Jesus said, this is where you will find me, right? This is where you will find me. Now, I want to speak a little specifically for just a few moments because I know we've done much good work and we continue to do good work, right? Christians have fed those who are hungry, amen? Amen. Some of us have received that, right? Some of us have received food from a ministry, from a shelter, from friends, from family, right? You know, my grandma used to buy a couple extra bags of groceries for us when we were kids, right? Because we didn't have it. And every week we'd get the two extra bags from grandma, right? I mean, I've been benefited from, from Christians who say, yes, we feed the hungry. And many people are doing good work to help get water, clean water to people. It's one of the most basic necessities of life. We're doing a good job with that. We're doing a great job with clothes, man. People want to donate clothes all the time. My wife Jennifer and I went down to El Salvador and we saw a room full of clothes. And they kind of sit on the side, we don't need any more clothes. Because Christians love to give their clothes away, right? Everybody loves to call me. I got some clothes. I got to get rid of these clothes. Everybody wants to give their clothes, right? Because I guess we follow what Jesus said. We don't like to see people naked. Can I get an amen? <laughs> amen. We as Christians are good. We don't want people running around naked. We got clothes. We got plenty of clothes. We'll get more clothes for you. We do a great job of that, right? And then Christians have such a ministry to the sick as far as health and, and wellness, mental, physical, emotional, spiritual. You know, some of our own people are working in the medical field. You are doing that. You are living out Jesus by your work and helping people get well. And, and there's a great Christian presence that's built hospitals. We do a good job with that. When it comes to the incarcerated, those in prison, I'm not so sure. I think we need to do better work in that. I think we need to better understand the situation. Because I find that many of us are ignorant of our current prison system and the injustices that are there. But also, it's not just when someone's incarcerated, it's when they get out, right? We need to support people. We need to help people, right? And by the grace of God, we have many people as a part of our community that we try to help in those ways, right? You may not see them every week, but you know they're a part of us. And our hearts need to be open to that. But here's the one that I think God has led me to speak about this morning, amen? And that is the idea of the stranger. Because the word stranger literally means foreigner or alien, an immigrant, or a refugee. 
The word is xenos. It means foreigner or alien. So the stranger is not just someone that you don't know that happens to wander down the street, right? The word literally means a foreigner or an alien. It's where we get the word xenophobia from, which is the dislike or prejudice towards people from different countries, right? And you'll notice that this fits in with, the, with what Jesus is saying because he said all the nations, nations, language groups are gathered before him, right? And he's saying, listen, I was a stranger. I was an immigrant and you invited me in. Can I let, oh, let me let that sit for a minute. Some of you need to look up and hear that again. Jesus said, I was an immigrant and you welcomed me in. Friends, are we missing something as the body of Christ? Are we missing Jesus? Have we lost a little bit of our connection? I'm not saying we're not saved. I'm not saying we haven't done a lot of other good things. Because we have. And God is glorified. But part of our connection is missing right now. And we need to restore that connection. That's all I'm talking about. I don't know about you, but I want to be connected to Jesus as much as possible. Like Angel was talking about wanting more, you know. Wanting more out of the Holy Spirit. I just don't want one bar of connection to Christ or two bars. I want five bars. I want ten bars. I want whatever. I want to be connected to Christ in every way possible. And friends, in this area, we are disconnected from Christ. We are disconnected from what God wants. Let me read you some passages from the Hebrew Scriptures, what we call the Old Testament, the Law and the Prophets, which describe God's heart that he wants his people to have. The first is from Leviticus chapter 19, verse 34, and this is one of dozens of similar verses that I could have chosen from. But listen as I read it to you. The foreigner residing among you must be treated as your native born. Love them as yourself, for you were foreigners in Egypt, and I am the Lord your God. That's pretty strong words. Treat them as native born. Love them as yourself. I am the Lord your God. It's like, you know, it's like your dad saying, because I said so. You know, it's like that's an authority statement. I am the Lord your God. Zechariah 7.10. Do not oppress the widow or the fatherless, the foreigner or the poor. Do not plot evil against each other. Malachi 3.5 says, so I will come to put you on trial. I will be quick to testify against sorcerers, adulterers, perjurers, against those who defraud laborers of their wages, who oppress the widows and the fatherless, and deprive the foreigners among you of justice. But do not fear me, says the Lord Almighty. Oh God, that is, that is his heart. That is how God feels that we should be treating people, right? So in other words, if we're not bringing justice to the foreigners, if we're not caring for the immigrants, if we're not making sure that we're doing what God calls us to do, he said, it's as offensive to me as if you're out there doing sorcery or you're out there committing adultery or you're out there lying all over the place or you're defrauding laborers of their wages or you're oppressing widows and the fatherless. We got a bunch of sermons in there, don't we? I just heard about five more sermons just in that one passage alone, right? But we're focusing on this, that the foreigner, the alien, the immigrant, the refugee, those who are not from your country are ones that God says, I want you to care about. I want you to take care of them as if you were taking care of yourself. Jesus said, as if you were doing it unto me. We need to treat people who are hurting and in need as if they were Jesus Christ himself. Now some people may say, well, you know what? I think the passage only means the Christians who are in need. Well, we're still failing. Because do you honestly believe that right now at our borders there's not Christian brothers and sisters who are suffering? We should at least be there helping them, right? At least. I'm talking least, least, least. 
but there's so much more that we could be doing to care for them. And it comes with an attitude, with a change of heart. It comes with understanding what Jesus said. Listen to this. I think it's kind of a, a wild verse in Hebrews chapter 13. The writer of Hebrews says, don't forget to show hospitality to strangers, foreigners, xenos, because for by doing so, some have shown hospitality to angels without knowing it. I'm like, oh, wait a minute. I mean, some strange person comes and knock on my door. I'm supposed to let them and welcome them in, right? And this is where some of you, and, and rightly so, are saying, hold on a minute, Pastor. Hold on a minute. You mean I just got to let anybody into my house? We need wisdom. We need wisdom, right? Because there are people, let's also be honest, there are people who want to do no good. Doesn't the parable kind of say that there are people, right, who, who don't want to live according to God's law? There are people who want to murder and kill. There are people who want to steal. There are people who want, you know, to rape and abuse. There are people who want to take advantage of, right? And part of our job in caring for the needy is to protect them from people like that, right? So definitely we need to be wise and we need maybe a kind of sorting out. Maybe we need the wisdom of Christ to help us sort out who those people are, right? So that we can protect those who are in need and innocent from those who would want to do them harm. There's nothing wrong with wisdom in how we reach out to those who are foreigners or immigrants or aliens or refugees. But friends, we cannot let our wisdom become an excuse for inaction. Oh, man, you guys didn't hear me, huh, man? I got quiet in here for a minute. Right? Just because we need to do something wisely and rightly, sometimes then we end up not doing anything at all. Is this challenging? Maybe this is challenging some of you. I kind of feel it in the room, right? Because first of all, like me, you probably didn't know that that's what the word means, xenos. So now I've got it coming out of Jesus' mouth, and now I've got to deal with it. And now I've got to understand how to put it into context. And what I can do to live like this, right? Friends, let me say a quick word to some of you as well. Some of you in here know what it means to be hungry, amen? Some of you know what it means to not have the basic needs of life. Some of you know what it means to be an immigrant, to be a foreigner, to be a stranger in a strange land. Some of you know what it's like to be sick, to deal with illness. Some of you know what it's like to be in prison or to be in trouble with the law, right? And I want you to know that Jesus says, listen, in some way, I want to be close to you. My presence would be among you. And I'm praying that there would be Christians that would go to these people in those places and communicate that presence of Christ so that they can bring healing. Amen? Amen? Don't we want healing for everyone? Don't we want well-being for everyone? Don't we want basic needs to be taken care of? You know, friends, let's get beyond the, the rhetoric. All right, let's get beyond that and let's get down on our hands and knees and see God. And let's get down and work and build relationships with people that God has called us to. Friends, if you're feeling disconnected from God and you found yourself in need, I want you to know that God's presence is closer than you think. And God wants to connect with you in a powerful way. And if you're a Christian like me who's feeling a little bit convicted, it's okay. It's okay. The Holy Spirit is here to convict me. To show me where I can live more out of love, more in the way that he wants me to live. And I may, we may want to agree with each other on exactly how to do it. That's okay. That's okay. The point is we're going to begin to do it, right? We're going to begin to do it and we're going to say, hey, listen, there's ways that we can get involved. There's ways that we can help. There's ways that we can really find this incredibly strong connection to Jesus. Oh, friends, friends. You're so quiet this morning, you're scaring me. But God has something so amazing for you. Are you hearing me? So amazing for you. That when you start to take steps in this direction, you are going to experience the presence of God like you never have before. 
You were going to encounter Jesus Christ in places that, that just blow your mind. You are going to find yourself growing stronger in your faith. You're going to find yourself living into the person that God has created and changed you and transformed you to be. You are going to experience the power and the presence of Christ in such amazing ways. And friends, if there's anyone here today that doesn't know Jesus Christ, you're not a Christian. I'm hoping that when you hear what Jesus is about, that some of you would nod your head and say, yeah, that sounds right to me. That sounds like what we should be doing, you know what? And I don't know what anyone else has told you about what you sign up for to be a Christian, but I'm here to tell you this is what you sign up for when you become a Christian. This is the kind of person that God is going to transform you into and create you to be so that it just comes naturally, right? Remember the people that, that did what was right, the ones he called the sheep? They didn't even know it was Jesus they were doing it to, right? They just did it. They just lived their life. And Jesus revealed to them, ah, look at what you're doing. But it's because I've, I've transformed you, I've changed you. You're the kind of people that are going to do these kind of things. Friends, I want to invite us to two responses today, specific responses. Uh, the top picture is a picture of uh, Tijuana, Mexico, where I'm going with a team in just a few weeks. Um, you know, it's kind of in the heart of what's going on, you know, at the border situation right now. There are many uh, people there from all other countries, uh, immigrants, people seeking asylum, refugees, um, there's ministries that are going on to them. There's shelters that are being built there. Um, our partner, my friend, Pastor Roberto, has actually been doing this work for many years, you know, long before we ever became more aware of it, you know, through news and social media. But he has been helping people who are not from Mexico but who find themselves in Tijuana and they, they're not able to get across the border or they're sent back. He's helping them just with food, with shelter, uh, with getting the right paperwork they need in Mexico or helping them get back uh, to the country that they're from. He's doing that work. So what I want to do today is I want to take a special offering. I want to take an extra offering that we will bring directly to Pastor Roberto. And I promise you we will use this money to help those who are in that situation, who are in need. And, and I'm going to ask that you would give that uh, today as a special offering. And when I say special, I mean that, you know, we're going to take our regular offering as well. And I'm going to be honest with you, we need, we need generosity. We're counting on God increasing the amount of partners we have, increasing the generosity um, giving us the ability to be able to give back. Uh, we know that sometimes we're, we're on the journey in that. So um, after we collect the regular offering, after we're done singing, I'm going to give an opportunity for you to come. And in these buckets in the front, you can make a donation to Mexico. And we're going to take just that money and go down there and use it however God leads. I don't know exactly, but we're trusting that God's going to guide us to a ministry, to a place where we can use this money to help those who are in need in, in the immigrant, refugee, you know, situation that's there at the border. All right? All right? Come on, at least shake your head. Come on, you guys are good to shake your head. I don't know, air conditioning is putting you to sleep. Maybe I should make it hotter in here, all right? And then the second thing is right here. So at Hartford City Church, we're all about the world, and we're all about right here in Hartford. Um, Catholic Charities, um, one of the directors there is our friend, Pastor Joel Cruz, Jr., from House of Praise and Worship, our partner church. Um, he works for Catholic Charities. They're one of the leaders in Hartford in providing migration, refugee, and immigration services to people that are coming here to Hartford, all right? Um, there's a, a phone number there um, that you might not be able to see, but you can go to um, the Catholic Charities website, Catholic Charities of Greater Hartford, and you can go to this page, Migration, Refugee, and Immigration Services. They have needs right now. They have things that they need donated right now. They have volunteer opportunities right now. So if you just say, hey, pastor, I want to respond to this message. I, I believe that God is convicting me to do this. You can go to that website, and there's a dozen ways that you can donate, that you can get involved. 
Um, and I'm going to just leave that with you. I'm just going to, whoever God lays that on, all right? And, and God may lead you to one of that, okay? So I'm gonna, we're going to collect an offering from Mexico that we're going to take to help Pastor Roberto, his ministry, and other ministries that like the ministries I talked about in Lebanon that are seeking to help people uh, who are displaced, help people who are in need. And we're going to use it for that. And then the second thing is, if God is moving on your heart, you know, we have these opportunities all around us every day, right? And I believe that if you study and understand these scriptures, and if anybody wants these scriptures, just text me, text the church number. I'd be happy to share these scriptures with you so that you can continue to study on them and reflect on them and allow the Spirit of God to work in your life as well. Amen? 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 Is everybody, is everybody all right? Is everybody all right? I, I, I believe that, that, that Jesus Christ is, is my Lord and my Savior. And I just want to follow what he says. And I don't always understand it perfectly, even as a pastor. Fortunately, I get to spend a little more time studying it. I don't always get it right. But I know I want to live in the way that Jesus wants me to live. And I know I want to do what he wants me to do. And I know that when Jesus comes again in that glorious and he sits on his throne, that I, want to, I have no fear in my heart because I just, I'm so connected to Jesus. That I'm connected with those who are in need. Amen? Amen. If anyone wants to give online today, um, you, there's a drop-down menu that just says Mexico. So you can give that way to Mexico as well. If you don't have anything with you to give to the offering today, um, you can give to the general fund. And then you can give a little bit uh, to Mexico as well. All right? But let's pray for a minute. If I can't ask the worship team to come up. Amen. And I'm just going to ask you just to find a quiet spot. Close your eyes if that's helpful. I just want to let God seal what he's doing in your heart because I believe that God is speaking to you right now. Just listen to what the Holy Spirit is telling you in your heart. Amen. Amen. Jesus is calling. He's calling to you this morning. Amen. He's saying, listen, I want you to come and be with me where I am. I want you to come close to me. Amen. Jesus wants you to come close to him. Just listen to what he's saying in your mind and your spirit this morning. Hallelujah. Lord Jesus Christ, speak. Holy Spirit, speak to our hearts now. Stir us, God. Stir us, Lord Jesus. Come on. Lord God, we want to be like the sheep. We want to be on the right path. Transform us into those kinds of people, God. Lord, give us confidence in your grace and your strength. That's a good confession. Please remember and even say that. Not my strength, God, but your strength. Not my will, but your will. Not my kingdom, not my country's kingdom, but your kingdom come. Amen. Just formulate some simple prayers to God. Listen to what's God telling you, what God's stirring in your heart. Give thanks to God for caring for you. God says, I will care for all of you. I will care for you. If you find yourself alone, you are never alone because I'm with you. But God understands those times when you feel alone. And you know how people feel that are displaced and don't have a home. God has given you a window to that loneliness and to that hurt. Hallelujah. Thank God for taking care of you. 
take a couple minutes and pray how God leads you. Maybe God is guiding you to pray for somebody you know or somebody you don't know. Maybe God wants you to begin your process by praying, by praying for people this morning. God, I want to pray this morning, Jesus. Lord, I want to pray for Pastor Roberto in the ministry in Mexico, God. Lord, I want to pray that you would bless them and their proclamation of the gospel. Lord, I want to pray for the people who are there, who are living in shelters, who are displaced, who are there because their lives are in danger, God. I pray, God, today that you would, you would rouse and rally the brothers and sisters in Christ to meet their needs, God, with what you supply. Thank you, Jesus. Finally, if there's anyone here today that needs to give your heart to Christ for any reason, 